Welcome to the Terry and Jesse Show. This is the holy hour of power. My partner Terry is out there doing some apostolic work. And I am here reporting for duty. This is Common Sense Catholicism. This is where we engage the culture of death with prayer, fasting, and full contact Catholicism. This show is not right versus left. It is right versus wrong. And this is where Catholicism and the culture intersect. Hey, I'm going to be talking about cohabitation in the last hour. I'm also going to be having uh, Carrie and Chuck Solomon, the the producers and directors and writers of the movie Nefarious. There's a lot of questions I want to ask them about how they prepared for this movie. Also, after this show, I'm going to go watch The Sound of Freedom. I watched it about three months ago. I watched a preview, a pre-screening. Eduardo Verasegui came down to Arizona, spent a couple of days here, and he he was he showed it to the Terry Lake campaign. I was part of the Terry Lake campaign. So we watched a pre-screening with Eduardo about three months ago. But I'm going to watch it again right after the show. I'm taking my wife out. We're going to go grab some lunch and we're going to go with a bunch of Catholics and go to the theater and watch Sound of Freedom. Uh, for, for a lot of my friends that are going, this is the first time that uh, they've gone to watch the movie. So a lot to talk about there. I'm also going to be talking about uh, Planned Parenthood. They have a goal to make everybody fornicators. Yep, they want to make everybody nasty. They want to make everybody sexually promiscuous. So we'll be, we'll be talking about that as well on the last segment. Uh, there's a lot of scripture that I want to share with you today before we uh, get on to the second and third segment. One of my favorite prayers is found in the breastplate, uh, the breastplate uh, of, of St. Patrick's breastplate prayer. Now, it's an exorcism prayer that's approved for lay people to pray. It's a deprecatory prayer, so it's safe to pray. And it's an exorcism prayer. It's a minor exorcism prayer. But there's a section in that prayer that is absolutely fascinating. And here's the way it goes. I love this section. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Christ beside me. Christ before me. Christ behind me. King of my heart. Christ be within me. Christ be below me, Christ be above me, never to part. Christ on my right hand, Christ on my left hand, Christ all around me, shield in the strife, Christ in my sleeping, Christ in my sitting, Christ in my rising, light of my life. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. What a beautiful prayer. And it's part of an exorcism prayer. You should take that short prayer, Christ Beside Me by St. Um, Patrick of Ireland, and you should use that as, as part of the morning prayers. You know, one of the ways that the devil attacks all of us is he puts bad people in our life. And we call those bad people in our life talking snakes. People that are always telling you promoting things that are evil, promoting things that are dishonest or sinful or things that are that are just plain vice. It reminds me in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, it says, the, the serpent asked the woman, did God really tell you not to eat from any of the trees in the garden? So notice, 
what the devil has been doing since the beginning of time, since Adam and Eve. He has you question God's lawful authority. And that's the whole problem with society, spiritual and political, is the breakdown of authority. Why is there so much divorce? Lack of patriarchal authority. Why is there so much crime in society and government? Lack of patriarchal authority. A breakdown of patriarchal authority or dishonest and wicked patriarchs, political and spiritual. And so that's step number one. The devil tries to get man to question God's authority and the authority structure that God set up the church. The perennial teachings of the church, the magisterium of the Catholic church. But don't, don't be afraid. Remember what our Lord says in Psalm 71 verse 1. He says, the psalmist says, you are our protection, Lord. Say that throughout the day. You are our protection, Lord. Psalm 71 verse 1. Here's also another beautiful psalm. It's Psalm 57. It's, it's, it's a psalm to protect you. It's calling on God's protection. Psalm 57, verse 2 and 6. Have mercy on me, God. Have mercy. For in you my soul has taken refuge. In the shadow of your wings I take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. So what does it mean, the shadow of God's wings? The early church fathers say that the cross of Christ that is precisely the shadow of God's wings to put yourself under the cross of Christ, under that protection. Psalm 57 verse says, I call to God the Most High, to God who has always been my help. May He send from heaven and save me and shame those who assail me. May God send His truth and His love. My soul lies down among lions. Who would devour the sons of men? Their teeth are spears and arrows. Their teeth a sharpened sword. God, O oh God, Arise above the heavens. May your glory shine on earth. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Another beautiful prayer, Psalm 57. To uh, Again, to pray today, to incorporate into your prayer life. Let me share with you something also that has a very powerful spiritual warfare implications. And a lot of people have probably never seen the, the nuances of what I'm going to share. Matthew chapter 12, verse 43 to 45. The Bible says, when an unclean spirit, that's a demon, it goes out of a person. It roams through arid regions searching for rest, but finds none. Then it says, I will return to my home from which I came. But upon returning, it finds it empty, swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and brings back with itself seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they move in and dwell there. And the last condition of that person is worse than the first. The word of the Lord, thanks be to God. So notice when an unclean spirit, a demon, it goes out of a person. And it roams through arid regions searching for rest but finds none. Well, so the person, obviously the soul, has been uh, swept clean. It's been put in order. But I'll tell you what's lacking. So yes, in possession, if an exorcist, in a, in a solemn exorcism or a minor exorcism, drives out a demon or demons. So the house is swept clean, everything's put in order. If the person returns, returns back to a life of mortal sin, guess what? 
now that unclean spirit will come back with seven more spirits. It says seven more spirits evil than itself. And they'll move in and dwell there. That's what happens to a lot of Catholics. They don't realize that Catholic, that Catholicism is a way of life. It's, it's, it's a way, it's, it's living in friendship with God, living a clean, pure, ordered life for the rest of your life. Not for a weekend, not for a week, not for a retreat, not for, just for a conference, not just for Sunday, for an hour. It's a way of life. And when you do so, and here's what you have to do. For example, in this instance in the Bible, the person's, the demon was, was, it was, it was cast out. So the soul was swept clean and put in order. And there's intellectual and spiritual and physical order now. What do you have to do now to stay protected from the diabolical? Virtue. A life of virtue. Father Chad Ripperger says that the reason there's so many people that are diabolically afflicted and possessed in America today is there's a lack of virtue. And so the goal of taking a person who's diabolically afflicted is to teach them virtue, which means holy habits. If the demon, through a minor exorcism or a major exorcism, is driven out and he's now roaming through the air, guess what? If you don't adorn your soul with virtue, with good holy habits, with a life of prayer, a sacramental life, a life of goodness, beauty, and truth, a life that embraces the spiritual and corporal works of mercy, if you don't adorn your soul with virtue, the demon that was driven out will come back with seven other demons even more powerful. How do we stay protected from the diabolical? Number one, we have to know our Catholic faith. Number two, we have to live and die in a state of grace. That means in friendship with God, free from mortal sin and even fighting, fighting against the uh, inclinations to venial sin. And number three, then we have to go on the offense. We have to start living a life of virtue. We have to adorn the soul with virtue, which is holy habits, the spiritual and corporal works of mercy. Without a life of virtue, the demon that was just driven out in today's gospel that I just shared with you in Matthew chapter 12, verses 43 to 45, guess what? This demon will come back and it will be worse than the first time around. You're listening to the Terry and Jesse show. I'm going to be talking about <clears throat> to the uh, producers and directors of the movie Nefarious next. I just got questions about their... Uh, about how they came up with such a, 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 a masterpiece. I mean, literally, it's a, it's a literary masterpiece, kind of like C.S. Lewis. We'll be back. Stick around. Don't go anywhere. Terry and Jesse Show. We're back to Terry and Jesse show. We've got Carrie Solomon and Chuck Konzelman. Uh, we have a lot of mutual friends like Father Darren Merlino, Father Robert Guerin, 
A lot of mutual friends out there. I know you guys are out in the great state of Texas. I moved out to the great state of Arizona. Hey, welcome to the show, gentlemen. How are you? Thank you for for having having us. us. You know, you guys provided such a boon for the Catholic Church. You guys, uh, the movie that you guys came out with, Nefarious, it was a literary masterpiece unlike anything portrayed on the movie screen to this day. In fact, uh, you know, I think the enemy wasn't happy because a few other horror movies, and I mean horror movies, came out pretty much the same time when Nefarious came out. But the other ones were pure garbage. It was a typical... You know, emphasize everything on the demon, phenomenology, you know, parlor tricks and all that. But you guys, your movie was peppered with with sound Catholic angelology, sound Catholic demonology. What did both of you study to come up with the conversation between the demon and the psychiatrist? You guys must have been hitting the books or watching videos. How did you prepare for this script? Well, you know, uh, first off, it wasn't us. We're two guys from New Jersey. We can't speak like that or write dialogue that. That was the spirit, okay? So we're street guys, and, and that, that wasn't that. That wasn't us, okay? So we know that as well. The Lord's use some strange vessels sometimes. Uh, he chose us. The second thing is, you know, being a Catholic, if you're a real Catholic, I think pursuit of knowledge is part of what we're supposed to do, right? I mean, uh, you know... We watch videos, we watch read up on exorcisms, uh, you know, and, and I think you, if you're more than a surface Catholic, you know, somebody goes to church on Easter and Christmas, you're going to, through just acclamation over a period of time, you're going to learn stuff that the rest of the world doesn't know. And, and uh, we basically used what we've learned, you know, and, and through various various forms and just over a period of time. And I, I do believe, by the way, though, I wasn't I mean, I was kidding, obviously, but um, but I'm not. I really do believe that this was the spirit because, you know, we didn't really want to do this in the beginning and the Lord kept on guiding us back to it. So that's how it that's how it happened. Well, I can tell you, you know, not only obviously both of you are men of faith, which is pretty obvious from all your prior movies. But, uh, you know, you also rolled up your sleeves and you did some you did some pretty good research. So I, I just I tip my hat off to you. You know what what you did in this movie Unlike other Hollywood horror movies, which which focus on 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 the demons parlor tricks and what demons do, what, what you guys did is you guys masterfully exposed the powers of the demon in this movie. And what you did is you captured the truth of Satan, demons, demonic forces, unlike anything ever uh, I've seen on the screen in this movie, Nefarious. Uh, you, you you basically what you did is, is you. You gave the world an uncensored look at Satan's agenda. Is that what you guys did? So I think it's what we tried to do. I think that the, the engine that makes the story work is, you know, for those who haven't seen the, the film, most of it takes place over a table and the character inhabited by a demon is on the day of his execution. He's a condemned prisoner, so he's chained to the table. So he can't physically beat up on the person opposite him. So what most of what happens is a conversation, but what com- becomes clear from the conversation is the malice that the demons have for humanity, the hatred mm-hmm. that they have for humanity, the hatred that they have for the fact that we can sin and err and be forgiven, whereas their error is forever unforgivable. They made their choice with full knowledge of God, who he was, what he wanted from them, 
without the concupiscence necessary that we're subject to. And they just basically chose to disobey deliberately and therefore their fall is irrevocable. And they hate us for the fact that we creatures who they deem as completely inferior may one day have places in heaven forgiven uh, of our sins by the grace and mercy of God. And that's really a lot of what drives the peace. And I think also of one of the things we wanted to do is we want to show people that it's not black and white. In other words, it's not comedic. It's not like Hollywood makes it where the demon is in the room and he's floating around and flying around. It's kind of, you know, I mean, that's Hollywood. The real fact about the uh, demons is they're cunning. They're, they're smarter than we are. They're here. From the moment we're born, they're, they're attacking. And that's why we have a guardian angel and we have the saints and everything else and the virgin. Uh, but we also want to show, you know, tarot cards, Ouija boards, going to seances, psychics, yeah. all voodoo, you know, all these things. These are gateways to the demonic. And we don't understand. Especially Ouija boards. You know, I, I, the most interesting lecture I ever went to in college was by a, a Jesuit priest who was the technical consultant on The Exorcist, the original movie. And he traveled the world doing exorcisms. And he said, the gateway drug for possession is a Ouija board. He said at least 80% of the cases that he dealt with, uh, including the case he didn't deal with personally, but the one that The Exorcist was loosely based on, even though it wasn't in the movie, began with a Ouija board. And he challenged his audience. He said, do you know what? Where does the word Ouija come from? And nobody knew. And he said, well, it comes it's from- French, Ouija. right? It's French, right? French and German. We, okay. German, we French for yes, ja, uh, German for yes. So he says, you're saying yes, yes, to a willing diabolical possession. And the example he used was, I never forgot it, he said, on a dark night, a lighthouse is visible from very, very far away. Mm. When you engage a Ouija board, you're turning yourself into a lighthouse for the demons. And they come racing from great distances to participate in what you're doing. And you're hoping it's temporary, but they're hoping it's permanent. Mm. You know, to me, this film, as I watched it, and I've, I've, I've rented it here at the house, I've invited all kinds of people over the house, and we're watching it. Uh, you know, you could rent it on a lot of the social media platforms. Uh, this film is the perfect Trojan horse to introduce the reality behind the culture war as well uh, to an audience probably that would never be attracted to a film about God per se. But the film, uh, the way it shows the connection between the culture of death and the diabolical, that was brilliant. Who came up with that? You know, again, we sit in a room and the spirit, you know, you pray and the spirit comes forward. Uh, we wanted to hammer home that what is happening in the world right now is diabolical. It's not just a political agenda. It's a, it's a demonic agenda. You know, the idea of castrating children and then turning them to another gender. Everything the devil does is in opposite. It's no longer, you know, it's no, and I know you've dealt, you know, obviously with the political stuff, there's, it's no longer the loyal opposition and a reasonable, reasonably opposed viewpoint trying to help us get to the greatest good for the greatest number. Now it's flat out diabolical. And that's part of what we portrayed in the film. Yeah. I mean, look, we wanted to show the, the woke agenda is evil. And, uh, you know, a lot of people like to couch it or whatever. I think we got to point it out straight out in front. We got to come out and say evil. The culture. Look, it's demonic. The culture. Castration of, of children, mutilation of children. That alone should be enough. But it's not. People are confounded. You know, there's a great delusion going on and the devil, you know, they have eyes to see, but and ears to hear. 
but they don't, you know, a lot of people are deluded. There's this great delusion going on that the devil has conveyed upon society. But the thing about a movie is, and this is obviously our ministry, is when you see it in a movie, there's something that happens to the human being. They're, they're very vulnerable to movies. And the bad guys have used the movies for 50 years to slowly corrupt. This is not a, yeah. We can do the same thing and show people, look, and I can't tell you how many reviews, how many people called and said, you changed my life. I played with tarot cards. I'm not doing that. Oh, million. The Lord is using this movie for his for his purposes. And and we're we're proud of what we did. This is a badge of honor. One uh, comment by an evangelical reviewer, he didn't put it in his review, but he said to us, he came to our premiere, he said, this is a theological drive-by shooting in a good way. You go into the movie expecting <laughs> one thing, and then all the, and that's what we were what we we're looking to do that we were looking to sucker punch non-believers. Matter of fact, uh, for your audience, if they haven't seen, if they see our poster, uh, it kind of has a demon demon looking head on it. Yeah, and it seems like maybe it's something to be scared of and run away. That poster was actually done by Jason Pearson, who did the poster for the Passion of the Christ. So it was done completely with the intention of the Trojan horse idea, like you were saying. It was it was meant to be a Trojan horse, but a Trojan horse designed by believers. So we could go out and win some non-believers. But there's no demonics. No. You can you can validate what we're saying. There's no demonics. There's no satanics. There's no sex. There's no bad language. It's as simple as two guys in a room. However, those two guys in a room have to be a demon and a human being, and we're conveying what's happening in the real world today. And, <laughs> and we've so, got, we've started collecting some great recommendations. Uh, Bishop Strickland, who I know is on your, your network and is here close to us in Texas. Uh, Cardinal Burke gave us an amazing uh, recommendation. Uh, uh, Archbishop uh, Cordillon in, in San Francisco. Nauman. Uh, all, the, the, all these guys. The usual suspects in terms of uh, loyal, <laughs> faithful uh, <laughs> clerks seem, seem to be discovering us and, and recommending us in large numbers. We have a priest that I have a friend she was in church going to confession and a friend of hers came out of the confessional and he knew she worked on the movie with us and he came over and he says, you will not believe what my penance was after I just went to the priest for confession. And she said, what was it? He said, he told me to go see the movie Nefarious. So we have priests giving the movie as penance. Wow. <laughs> Is that crazy or what? I mean, it's amazing. I'll tell you what I like about this movie is that it's for, for, you know, some young parents, this is probably going to start a conversation with older teens or with like 20 somethings. When they watch this film, they're going to start asking questions to, about, to mom and dad about faith, about God, about the culture wars. This, this is a family conversation starter for some of those Catholics that are kind of falling away from the faith. This is going to move them in the right direction. This is a lapsed Catholic trap. And yeah. yes, if families can sit down and watch this, yes, you're gonna have, you're, you're gonna see people who've wandered away from the faith. You know, look, it happens to a lot of, I mean, I was away from the faith during my, during my 20s, about age 30, right on schedule, you know, I, I wasn't where I should have been. And it kind of like the Lord knocked me over the head and I figured it was time to stop rebelling against my parents. Well, if you have some family members and a lot of us do that are kind of in that basket or that bucket, uh, watch this film with them. And uh, I think it will prompt, it, it's, a, it's an open invitation 
to the conscience to start re-examining all the lies of, of contemporary society. Yeah, and it came, that came out massively during the movie. Um, did uh, This is kind of probably a big question, and, but I want to hear what you guys have to say because I'm sure, I have no doubt that you guys probably face some demonic opposition as you're making the film, before the film. Who knows, even, even today, I don't know, maybe, who knows, your computers are shutting down or freezing, uh, I, I don't know. But well, um, every day, every hour, it's we, crazy. We don't have an hour, but I'll give you a couple of the highlights. Hold, hold, so, that, hold that thought, my friend. We're going to a quick break. We got a quick two-minute break. I want. You got it. Yeah, this is a this is a cliffhanger moment. The audience is going to want to hear what you have to say. You're listening to the Terry Jesse Show. We got Chuck and Carrie, the directors and producers for the movie Nefarious. And they're giving us kind of an internal view of some of the dynamics of the movie. Stick around. We'll be right back in two minutes. The Terry and Jesse Show. We got Chuck and Carrie, the producers and directors of the phenomenal movie Nefarious that I that I watched three times in one week, and I've rented it, filled up my living room a couple of times. I'm, I'm bring, it's just a it's just a movie where you could evangelize people because everybody has questions after that. Now they're open to God, to the Lord Jesus Christ, the Catholic faith. It is just a perfect evangelization tool. But here's a cl- I, I left you with a cliffhanger. I asked Chuck and Carrie. Uh, Kind of, kind of throw a softball question at them. Did they face any demonic opposition on this full before, during, after, even to this day? <laughs> you know, I, completely the opposite of what we did on plan. When we did on plan during the production, we were surrounded by a complete hedge of protection. We had no problems whatsoever. And then culturally, we obviously had problems afterwards. I'll we had only, problems in the marketing on our plan and the distribution. I'll only give you one note Quick, quick note, because it's a mutual friend from production, then it'll jump to the marketing phase on this one. So during production, it's only two and a half weeks long that you're shooting. Um, Aside from being struck by the industry unions with no grievance and no strike vote, uh, one night, uh, Father Darren Merlino uh, says mass. He was staying with us uh, at at the directors at the Airbnb where we were staying. And three or four hours later, he's in the ER he gets an emergency appendectomy and his appendix bursts during removal. He almost died. And the surgeon tells him if you'd arrived here an hour later, you would have died. But I'm going to jump from all of the mishaps of production to marketing. So April 14th, it's our uh, right, right around there. We're in our office building where we have our marketing offices in Los Angeles. One building in Burbank is hit by a microburst and the entire roof is torn off in a rainstorm in the middle of the, the night. The only roof in Burbank that gets wiped out. And it's, a, and, it's a, and it's a facility that only deals with faith-based stuff. So the only two things going on in that building are our marketing and post-production for The Chosen. Every electric device doesn't work. Every phone call, cell, email, text doesn't work. Eight car crashes in the first 11 days totaled. The cars are totaled, but God is present. The devil attacks every, we didn't have one injury. We had a, we had Father Carlos Martins, who's a uh, legitimate Full-time exorcist. Full-time exorcist, has the Exorcist Files podcast. So the night of our, so the night of our premiere in the interview suite with the celebrities being interviewed and the talent, 
We have demonic manifestations. The lights are blinking. The sound mixer goes bad. There's a voice coming out of the, the couch. The cameras aren't working. So the voices are coming out of the couch. Voices are coming out of the couch. So we call Father Martin that he comes back to the suite. So we're on the fifth floor. He puts his back to the French doors to the balcony. Five stories in the air. There's only about three feet of space behind them. There's no people there. He begins a formal rite of exorcism of place in Latin. And he's got, no one else can hear, but he hears audibly a woman's voice chanting in his right ear. Trying to distract them, demonic he, chanting. He can't tell the language. He can't discern the language, what's going on. He gets to the point of the right where he says, bow now before the holy and terrible name of Jesus. And she knocks it off. The lights stop flickering. The sound mix then gets, he gets better. Then he the, gets, the cameras start working and the voices totally gone. Then he gets delivered to where we're actually going to have the, the, the premiere. And we'd already scheduled. We were smart enough to know we should get a right of exorcism a place there. In the half hour before he arrives in the theater lobby, which has an absolutely flat floor in two separate incidents, women are thrown to the floor or fall to the floor and hit their face on the floor on a totally completely flat floor open carpeted place so he does a, an exorcism there and let me just put it this way if you do not believe in the devil yeah come make a movie with us <laughs> okay can I mean, see what happens unbelievable every every light every electrical item if there's a money problem that can be had bam it comes out of nowhere things that are impossible a guy who was doing our marketing he gets on he comes to the premiere at the most important time, his ear look, his ear his drum, drum burst explodes. The guy who was booking our theater theater that our Newsweek interview had to be conducted three times. The equipment failed, and it was they were three thousand miles away. My producer, one of the guys who was producing, works with us, Chris Jones and his family. He drops his family off. He gets out of his car. He's got two young kids in the back seat, two and four, and basically, so he opens the back door. The door is leaning on him. He reaches in because his kid, again, the devil and God. And what happens is he's reaching in because his kid, the four-year-old, tries to kick his hand away. So he has to reach in an extra inch to reach to the seatbelt. At that exact moment, an SUV hits the door at the perfect angle at 45 miles an hour, rips the door off the car one inch one inch had his little boy not kicked him he'd be gone because he reached in that little extra anyone who's ever had to take the kid out of the back seat another one of our producers gets in his car pulls his car 40, over, gets out of his car out, less than 48 hours later gets in his car gets out of his car parks it out of nowhere he's out of the car a guy a male nurse falls asleep from the hospital he was working at slams into the car at 45 what, 50 miles an hour and basically eviscerates the car Every day, uh, the building we're shooting in, the worst oh, yeah. windstorm in the history of Oklahoma, we're in a convention center, so bad. Now we're working, there are some atheists or some non-believers, you know, you always have a mix of people. And the bottom line, our attitude on that is that, look, they need to see who, how, who and how we act and treat people, right? So when they're working, so what's happening, even non-believers, the building is groaning. The girders are groaning. It sounds like we're in the bowels of hell. Every time we're talking about the devil. Twisting metal sounds. Every time we're talking about the devil, all of a sudden you get, it sounds like we're in hell. Atheists say, they look up and they cannot believe because when we stop talking about the devil, it stops. Start talking about the devil, it starts. Back and forth, back and forth. And they say, it sounds like we're in hell. 
See, subconsciously they know this is real, but their intellect is fighting it. You know, but every day, by the way, it's just tip of the iceberg. It was nutty. It, it was crazy. The devil does not like this move. Father Carlos said to us, this is the best movie on exorcism ever. It's better than The Exorcist. He said, it's the most accurate. It's the most spot on. And he said, he said to us privately, he said, look, if you can get the devil off his couch to come mess with you like this, you're doing something you're right. Doing something right. You got to keep doing it. Wise words. Extremely wise. I, I'm sure uh, I can just imagine. Well, you you ex- you answered it. I was wondering what was it like being on the set. You just told me the last three or four minutes what it was like. It was like, uh, you know, you got you guys were like, yeah, you guys were in the midst of a haunted house. It sounded like. What uh, was her? I'm sure you guys. Well, I don't know if you guys would know because you don't know anybody's heart, obviously. But I would say that. The actor, uh, both actors, the, the, you know Edward Brady and and uh, James Martin, Doctor James Martin. I don't know if they were Catholics, but I would have to imagine that this movie had a profound effect on their interior life towards Jesus. I mean, I'm, that's that's my guess. Jordan, uh, Jordan Belfi, who played the doctor J- James Martin, uh, he was profoundly affected by the movie. He's actually because he's searching now for God and he's reading up and, you know, he, he's meeting with a lot of people and a lot of us and talking. Uh, you know, he had had a he was a, he was a devout liberal, uh, but he's no longer a liberal. But he doesn't, you know, in Hollywood, that means death. I mean, you'll never work. Again, right? <laughs> so and Sean, Sean Patrick Flannery, who played Edward Brady, who, by the way, I believe deserves an Academy Award. If the world was a fair place. Yeah. This guy would walk away with the Academy Award. Uh, Sean also, I think, was very moved. And the funny thing about Sean is Sean is not a diva. He's a tough guy. You know, he's an MMA fighter as well. He's mm. a tough guy. But even he acknowledged this is, stu- you know, this is this is the most profound work I've ever done in my life. And the fact that it's saving people. And so they've both come, I would say, about 50 or 100 steps to the right way and to the thinking that God is real. They both are kind of acknowledging that uh, it's great to see, but it's not only them. It's everyone who watches the movie because you know what the secret in this movie is. It's truth. We're not fabricating. We're not lying. We use the truth, set the truth free, stand aside because when the Lord moves the spirit, you, there's nothing you can say to fight it. You know, everyone who's seeing this movie sees the truth. They're seeing the truth. There is a devil, there is a God, there is good, and there is evil. And that evil is working 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year to get you in hell. And it's a profound, you know what, in in honesty, I think that's scarier than a horror movie with a spinning head. The fact that we have somebody in real life trying to destroy us and drag us and our family and our friends and our loved ones down to hell. I mean, just put that concept in your Absolutely. head. Absolutely. Amen. I, I'm tracking with you 100%. Uh, so people could watch the movie Nefarious right now. It's, it's on all the major platforms. I know it's uh, Amazon, iTunes, Google Play, uh, many other platforms. I, I recommend every Catholic uh, invite people to your house. Uh, I know right now you can only rent it. You can't buy it. Rent the movie. Fill up the house. This is a good way to evangelize. This is a good way to bring people back. Uh, back to the Eucharist, back to a life of prayer. Let me just ask, you got about a minute. Personally, 
did this bump up your interior life, your prayer life personally? Yeah, I mean, of course, of course, you know, you know, you realize that I would be squashed. We would be squashed like a bug on a windshield if it wasn't for Jesus. Right. You go out and take on the devil. You've got to be prepared. You know, when the Lord basically says, look, put on your armor. You know, we look, we love Jesus. We love the virgin. We love everything about righteousness and good. And the bottom thing is guys like you, they're spreading the word. This is our life. To me, the time is short. We believe the time is short. This is a ministry. If we can save one soul, and then when you contemplate that, when somebody's watching this, of course it profoundly affects you. This goes on our resume, bro. I mean, like when we go before the <laughs> Lord, he's going to say, you did good, you're in. Okay, yeah. so... Yeah, the book, know, of James, the book of James chapter 5 says, if you save one soul and turn him from the error of his ways, you will save his soul and your soul as well. And you guys have saved hundreds of thousands of souls with this movie nefarious and unplanned. And God is not dead, one. God is not dead, two. Good for you guys. God bless you, Chuck and Carrie. Thanks for coming on uh, the Terry and Jesse show. We'll have to do this again. Uh, you guys did a mighty work. You guys are a mighty sword in the arm of God. God bless you guys. We'll see you next time. We'll see you soon. Thank you so much. much. God bless. God bless. You've been listening to Carrie and Chuck, the directors and and producers of the movie Nefarious. Get the movie. Pack up your house. Evangelize people. It's streaming right now on all the major platforms. It is the best movie out there on the Diabolical. We'll be back. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-526. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. Yep, there's two movies that should be on every Catholic's bucket list. It's Nefarious and it's Sound of Freedom. As Catholics, people of faith, people of goodwill, we've got to support these good Catholic movies. Even some of our Protestant brothers, they make some pretty good movies that that promote virtue. Uh, we've got to be there and we've got to show them that that's exactly what we're craving for. We've got to show Hollywood that we're sick and tired of their Marxist woke propaganda. And as Catholics, we have to go and storm the theaters whenever some of these great movies come out. And then we also have to order them on, on live stream on our television, invite people to your house and have a, have a movie night with a bunch of Catholics and, and, and people of faith. I want to talk about cohabitation. There's an article, it's called What's the Plan? Cohabitation, Engagement, and Divorce by Scott Stanley. It's a secular article, but it basically backs up what we as Catholics believe. It says 50 to 65% of Americans believe that living together before marriage will improve their odds of relationship success. Younger Americans are especially likely to believe in the beneficial effects of cohabitation and to view living together as providing a a valuable test of a relationship ahead of marriage. Yet... Living together before marriage has been long associated with a higher risk of divorce, contradicting the common belief that cohabitation will improve the odds of a marriage lasting. This association between premarital cohabitation and divorce is often called the cohabitation effect. With 70% of couples living together before marriage, it is important to understand how and when cohabitation is associated with poor odds of marital success. Controversy over this topic has abounded, both in the media and in science journals, with some arguing that any association between premarital cohabitation and divorce is due to selection, that is, 
the association is merely related to differences in who does or does not live together before marriage. And others suggesting that something about the experience of living together makes a couple more likely to struggle in marriage. We believe both selection and experience are part of the explanation. And that there are steps people can take to increase their odds of having a lasting marriage based on how or if they cohabitate before marriage. Yeah, I'll tell you how you do it. You run to confession. Uh, you stop living together, you run to the sacrament of, of holy matrimony, and you uh, now propose to live a life faithful to the key teachings of the Catholic Church. Here's something that the article doesn't say. Practicing Catholics, practicing Catholics, and I mean Catholics that live in a state of grace and follow the moral teachings of the Catholic Church, have a less than 4% divorce rate. That's not mentioned in the article. The article does say, Using a new sample of Americans who married for the first time in the years 2010 to 2019, we examined the stability of these marriages as of 2022 based on whether or not and when people had lived together prior to marriage. Consistent with prior research, couples who cohabited before marriage were more likely to see their marriages end than those who did not cohabit before marriage. There it is. And this is a secular study. I'll read it again. Um, couples who cohabited before marriage were more likely to see their marriages end than those who did not cohabit before marriage. And the primary finding of this report is that is that the timing of, of moving in together is robustly associated with marital instability. Here's one bullet I want to share. Those who started cohabitating before being engaged were, were more likely to experience marital disillusion than those who didn't, who only did so after being engaged or already being married. Specifically, 34% of marriages ended among those who cohabited before being engaged, compared to 23% of marriages for those who lived together only after being either married or engaged to be married. Just want to say that the Catholic term for cohabitation is fornication. That's the New Testament word. Fornication is a mortal sin, if done with full knowledge and de- deliberate consent to the will. It's a violation of the sixth and ninth commandment. Second bullet here in the article, it says, in relative terms, the marriages of those who moved in together before being engaged were 48% more likely to end than the, marriage of the, than the marriages of those who only cohabited after being engaged or already married. Our findings suggest that one key to reducing the risk of divorce may be either not to cohabit before marriage... <laughs> which is the Catholic approach, or to have settled the big question about marital intentions before moving in together. Of course, that would not be the Catholic approach. Here's a, some key takeaways uh, from this article. It's a secular article, but it's, it's, it's got, it does provide data that backs up the Catholic Church's teachings. Here's five key takeaways from this article. Number one, not living together before marriage or only doing so after already being engaged to marry is associated with a lower likelihood of marriages ending than living together before being engaged. Number two, couples might lower their risks of divorce by having clear intentions to marry before moving in together or by waiting until marriage to live together. Of course, the Catholic position is wait until marriage, the sacrament, before you live together. But I'm just reading from the secular report, which does say a lot of good things. But obviously, because it's not a Catholic uh, author, where it's not written by a Catholic, it's going to miss it in some points. The third takeaway is the reasons for moving in together also matter. People who 
who reported that their top reason for moving in together was either to test the relationship or because it made sense financially, were more likely to see their marriages end than those who did so because they wanted to spend more time with their partner. In other words, people that say, you know, I just want to kind of kick the tires before I find the, uh, buy the car. Uh, those marriages, more, more than likely, they're going to end. Uh, the person is there for all the wrong reasons. Fourth takeaway, having a greater number of prior cohabiting partners is associated with a higher likelihood of marriages ending. Yep, because you just don't have a commitment to anybody because you're just a, a chronic fornicator. Point number five, talking about what living together means and making a decision together about it rather than sliding into it might help lower the risk of marital difficulties for some couples who will live together before marriage. Clarifying marital intentions may be a particularly important goal for such discussions. Now, here's something interesting. Planned Parenthood, they're into the fornication business, in case you're wondering. Planned Parenthood wants to end the idea of virginity. Planned Parenthood is all about fornication. Planned Parenthood is all about cohabitation because it's just going to give them more customers. But Planned Parenthood, their latest statement on Twitter claims the concept of virginity is an outdated idea. In a tweet, Planned Parenthood, supported by the Democrats, funded by the Democrats, uh, they wrote, quote, the idea of virginity comes from outdated, let's be real, patriarchal ways of thinking that hurts everyone, close quote. So Planned Parenthood, they're not pulling any punches. They're anti-patriarchal. Patriarchy comes from God. We're talking about proper patriarchy, not, not uh, you know, secular patriarchy like we see in, with cartels and godfathers and mafia men. So attached to the tweet by Planned Parenthood was a picture of a billboard that read, Virginity is a social construct. I'm looking at the tweet right now on the internet. Uh, yeah, so Planned Parenthood says that the idea of virginity comes from, an, from outdated, let's be real, patriarchal ways of thinking that hurts everyone. Um, yeah, it sounds like uh, it sounds like something a secular humanist, moral relativist, uh, godless pagan would say. Once again, there's uh, the gays against groomers. They put out a tweet. They said once again, Planned Parenthood is gaslighting the youth. This time into thinking virginity doesn't exist and that they should throw it away immediately. Why? Could it be because virgins aren't paying customers to Planned Parenthood? Ah, good point. Great point. Stop telling children they are sexual. In other words, um, Planned Parenthood, they previously published an article also titled Virgin Territory, Why Our Sex Educators Don't Use the Term Virginity. And again, in the article, the lead sex educator for Planned Parenthood Chrissy Morick wrote, quote, virginity is a social construction that is meant to keep women in their place, close quote. And according to Planned Parenthood, here's what they say, that virginity isn't a medical term. And in our classes, we teach medically accurate information, said Chrissy Morak, Morick, who I think is a moron. Not, I take that back. I didn't mean that. She's the lead sex educator for Planned Parenthood of the Pacific Southwest. Here's what she said. Virginity is a social construction that is meant to keep women in their place. 
Very rarely does anyone talk about male virginity. It's almost always a term used to describe young women. Well, guess why? Because it comes from the Bible. And it's a biblical concept, by the way, that goes all the way back to the Old Testament. Uh, Planned Parenthood, their tweet says, Instead of focusing on the loaded term of virginity, extensive research has found that discussing abstinence and the various forms of birth control during sexual health, ha- during sexual health classes are much more effective at helping teens take control of their reproductive health and making decisions that are right for them. In the long term, that means that excluding shaming words like virginity from their curriculum helps Planned Parenthood uh, and the students that they propagandize delay their first sexual experience, avoid unintended pregnancies, and reduce their chances of getting STDs. Wow. You know, Planned Parenthood should really be called planned, planned murder. That's what it is. They're not planning. They're not teaching you how to be a parent. They're not planning for you to become a parent. They're planning to murder your child. Planned Parenthood should be called planned murder. And it's really a plan to turn you away from God. Planned Parenthood is a plan to turn you away from God, make you a godless secular humanist. And guess what? Planned Parent and the Biden presidency, the Biden regime, they're both godless human bedfellows. And I'll tell you, uh, Planned Parenthood, what an oxymoron because parenthood has nothing to do with abortion. It, we should actually call it KKK Clanned Parenthood. KK Clanned Parenthood. I think that would be a better word for them. You know what Planned Parenthood does? They victimize women. That's what they do. That's a wrap. You've been listening to the Terry and Jesse Show. This is uh, Friday, TGIF. Thank God I'm forgiven. You thought I was going to say, thank God it's Friday. Hey, go watch the movie Sound of Freedom. And also remember, live in a state of grace, my, my, my brothers and sisters in Christ. Pray your rosary every day. Read your Bible every day, the daily Mass readings. Um, go to Mass as often as possible. Today's first Friday. Go to Holy Mass. Remember, incorporate into your prayer life fasting and penance, fasting and penance. And also, go to confession once a month so that you can maintain living in a state of grace. America, wake up to Jesus. Don't hit the snooze button. Global warming alert. Jesus is coming back. Are you ready? And make sure that before you drop dead, before you heart, your heart stops, make sure you leave it all out on the field for Jesus. The, Middle, the medieval cry against the Muslim Turks, Christ conquers, Christ reigns, Christ commands. God bless you. Keep the faith. <laughs>